Let us turn then to Revelation chapter 21, verses 23 and 24, and also verse 26. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honour into it. And they shall bring the glory and honour of the nations into it. The glory of the saved. We're continuing to look at the Lamb's wife, the spotless bride, in the form of a city, the new and holy Jerusalem, perfect and complete, and coming down now into the new heavens and the new earth. We saw last time that its main feature was that it had this marvellous glory of God. Verse 11, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious. Now that's the highest bliss of the saints, to enjoy and to be surrounded by the glory of God and to forever dwell with it and delightfully bask before it. We Phoebe endeavoured to capture something of what that would be like, something of what that would mean, the great peace, the great comfort, the great joy that that must bring. But at the end of the day, we still have to say, as the Bible says, since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by ear, nor seen by the eye, the things that God has prepared for them that love him and that wait for him. And not even the deepest study of Revelation 21 can change that. We, we still are scratching the surface. And we don't know what it is really to enjoy the full glory of God. We'll have to wait until it appears at the advent of Jesus Christ. So, so the glory of God from himself is the primary all-controlling thing in relation to this city. Saints don't need moon and sun. You see that in our text, verse 23. No need of the sun. No need of the moon. These two great lights upon our earth today. Because there is divine light. The glory of God and of the Lamb. And that's all that the saints in glory have and enjoy. And it's all they need. And they don't deserve or have to desire anything else besides. So the glory of God from himself is the primary, important, essential thing. They have God. They have the Lamb. They have all sufficient glory. We might say, even as we are known to say as Reformed believers, the glory of God alone. So that's what we have here then in Revelation chapter 21. But is it here alone? I was struck as I continued to look at this portion and to study it by something 
that seem to stand out with me. The city does not seem, and I emphasize that word seem, and I hopefully explain what I mean as we proceed, but it seems to me that the glory of God is not alone. And tonight I want you to see that it is not the only glory in the city. Because what does the text say? In verse 24, The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory. Here's another glory. The glory of the kings, they're bringing their glory into it. And then in verse 26, And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Now this is a stunning thing, I think. And we have to pause here and reflect about this. Is not the Bible clear after all? That no flesh should glory in his presence? That creatures don't really have any glory in comparison to the all-sufficient, infinite glory of God. We say God has all the glory and he has ascribed all the glory. And he doesn't share his glory with anyone else. But he sovereignly and mightily radiates his own divine glory over all his creatures. And so what is this? Another glory coming in? Now as you read Revelation, you can mark every occurrence of the word glory. I did do that and I counted 17 times its occurrence. Doxa, this, this particular word. Always translated glory except on one occasion when it's translated honour. And I will point out some of the occurrences of it. But it's nearly always associated with God. The glory of God. The glory ascribed to him. The glory that comes forth from him. And so in Revelation chapter 1 for example. Uh, its first occurrence verse 6. To him. That is to God. The Father be glory. And dominion forever and ever. Revelation 4 verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. You alone have the glory. Revelation 15 verse 8. Whenever we looked at the, the vision of the temple there, we saw that it was filled with smoke from the burning glory of God. God's glory and his power. Revelation 19 verse 1 After these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honour and power unto the Lord our God. So all of these references are clearly of the divine glory. However, in the last two occurrences of the word not only in the book of the Revelation but in the whole Bible itself, it refers to the glory of men. I thought that was quite stunning. Almost shocking. The kings bring their glory into it. And all the nations bringing their glory 
into it. What is this glory that kings have? This glory that nations have that it's welcome in the new heavens and the new earth. What glory have you and I? The Bible makes clear what God thinks of the nations and of the kings of the earth. In the main, they forget God. In this book of the Revelation, it's the dragon who deceives the nations of the earth. The nations are deceived in the main. And even apart from their deception and how they're used by the devil, the Bible tells us that the nations are as a drop of a bucket to God. They're counted as the small dust of the balance. There is nothing. What glory does a droplet in a bucket have? What glory does fine dust of the earth have in its contribution to the glory in the new heavens and the new earth? This is an amazing thing, I think. We know that all the gods of the nations are idols. And there's very little glorious about our nations, even in our own eggs, let alone the eyes of God. I mean, the Bible tells us, it makes it very clear, all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. Anything of divine glory we lost in the fall. And there is none righteous, no, not one. And we can't boast, and we're not allowed to boast, and we've nothing to boast of. The Bible makes it clear that we all are as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. How then can we explain this? This glory that the nations and the kings bring into the new heavens and the new earth by means of this holy and glorious city, New Jerusalem. Well, let us look carefully at the text and try to work our way through in our Bible study tonight as the time allows. I want you to notice, first of all, who enjoys God's glory, the divine glory of the new Jerusalem. Verse 23, the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. Why? Why is that? Well, the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light, the glory thereof. And then verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in it. And then it says, And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So it's the nations, it's the kings... But it's the nations that are mentioned first, and the kings are identified with the nations. But notice, it's a certain class of nations. What does it say there? Not all nations. It doesn't say every nation. It is not universalism. As if all the nations of the earth that ever were, and all their multitude of population, that every one of them are all saved, and the nations now are coming in. It's not universalism. It's not every nation shall be saved and come in. It's the nations of them which are saved. They're saved. 
And that's the important word. Only the saved enter into glory. And this salvation is God's salvation. The salvation that is brought through the Lamb by his atoning blood. All who go to glory have to be saved before they go to glory. They were saved on earth. They don't enter into glory and are saved. No, they're saved on earth and they enter into the glory in the great salvation of God's redeeming grace. And that salvation is provided by Jesus Christ. Let us be clear here. Whatever glory they bring in, it is only as saved and redeemed that they do so. That's the first thing. These nations are there that are saved. And they're saved as a result of Christ's work. If I be lifted up, Jesus says, I will draw all men unto me. Now he doesn't mean every man, every individual that was ever born, all men. What he means is from all nations. All men of whatever their national background. Not just the Jews, that's really what he's saying. Not just from the Jewish nation, but from the Gentile nations. All men. That's what he means. All nations, all peoples of whatever country. And we know that they are saved as a result of the cross work of Christ, who has died for the elect amongst the nations. And we know that they also are saved as a result of the church carrying out the Great Commission. Because what's the Great Commission? Is it just, you know, just stay in your own nation and don't go outside it? No, the church is to go to all nations. It's to go to other countries. And all nations are to hear the gospel, to preach the gospel to all, all peoples. And in fact, the Bible says, all the nations shall hear, and then shall come the end. So the nations are ordained to hear the gospel, and multitudes out of the nations are ordained to be converted through that gospel. And so whenever we send out our missionaries, and we have to confess the church has feebly carried out the Great Commission, weekly done it in the history of the church down through the thousands of years and there have been centuries that have been better at it than others but we in our day and generation we should feel a burden and responsibility for missionaries and we try to encourage our missionaries that's why we have deputation meetings that's why the church sends out missionaries because this is a great end. There's something about these nations, these peoples that are saved from the nations, they're going to bring something into the new heavens and the new earth. And we will be contributing to that as we spread the gospel among the nations. So you're doing a great work. And keep on supporting missionaries. Keep on supporting deputation meetings. Keep on praying for missionaries and giving to missionaries. The Trinitarian Bible Society the great work of translation of the scriptures. And their motto is, the word of God among all nations. All nations. That's a biblical vision. And it will have fruit. 
And the fruit here is seen in the new heavens and the new earth when those nations converted bring their glory into it. And the radio ministry of Let the Bible Speak, it is a ministry not just locally for ourselves and for the edification of our church, but it is a missionary in the main that aims to get to the nations, to far beyond by its radio and latterly by the TV. So pray on and labor on for the missionaries and the work amongst the nations and will be participating in the bringing in of this glory that we're reading about here tonight in this scripture. And the Bible gives wonderful promises of success amongst the nations and of blessings to the nations as the gospel goes amongst them. The list of prophecies and promises could be the length of your arm if you wrote them down in small print. Psalm 22 verse 27 for example all the ends of the earth remember and turn unto the Lord. And all kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. There are great prospects of multitudes of conversions among the nations. Maybe it looks dark in our age. Maybe we don't see too much happening. But what are we for our little 60 or 70 year lifespan? We're just a little speck in the great history of redemption that the church has been engaged in for thousands of years and we do not know how long that is yet to progress. Isaiah 2 verse 2. It shall come to pass in the last days. And we're in the last days now. And they continue. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. Does that sound a bit familiar to what we've been seeing in Revelation? That's where John was brought to. At the top of a great mountain to see this new city. Exalted above the hills coming down into the new heaven and the new earth. And this prophecy of Isaiah, the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house established in the top of the mountains where Christ is at the right hand of God, the new Jerusalem up there in the construction of God and the Son in glory. And it's being exalted and all nations are, are flowing up to it by faith in Jesus Christ. This does not mean that all British and every Briton will be saved that all the UK will be saved, or all of Russia, or all of Ukraine, or all of Kenya, or all of the United States of America will at some point be wholly converted nations. Doesn't mean that. No, but it does mean that great numbers of British people will be saved. And great numbers of Kenyans will be saved. And great numbers of Russians and Americans and Africans or whatever you want to say shall be saved. I'm talking about multitudes from the nations as an aggregate of human history over the thousands of years. So all of Britain doesn't enter into the new heavens and the new earth. But I tell you this, there will be multitudes of British people there. The British nation will be well represented 
in multitudes of converts because we have been a nation as much blessed by the gospel of grace. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice, Salvation to our God, which sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb. Now you'll observe here that the saved are the saved of every nation. A multitude of all nations. All nations shall come and worship before thee. This is the fulfillment of it. The multitude of all nations. Not that everyone in the nations were saved. But that multitudes out of them. Great representatives from them are amongst the redeemed. Now, they are an innumerable multitude. They cannot be counted. The wonderful numbers of glory would take your breath away if we could see it truly. We can only comprehend it by faith. But it's a great multitude. And these believers are clothed with white and palms in their hands because They've all been conquerors and victors and overcomers. They overcame the world and the flesh and the devil. And they entered into glory at the end. And they ascribed their entrance into glory to God. Salvation to God. And to the Lamb. He's the Savior. He saved us. And so they give God the glory. Revelation 5 verse 9. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every, that's the important word, every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Every nation. The nations bring their glory into the new Jerusalem. Now we're not to suppose, I don't think, that in the new heaven and the new earth, national identities are maintained. We're not to think that for one minute, and that's not what this text means. It makes no difference in the new heavens and the new earth. It makes no difference in glory what your nationality is. We are one in Christ. But brethren and sisters, our past cannot be obliterated. And it can never be forgotten. Our heritage given to us by God. Because it is part of the glory that we bring in. The glory of God who saved us. That we return again to God. That God who redeemed us from all nations. You know whenever the covenant was early revealed to Abraham. He was told that in thy seed, the only one who is vital importance in the covenant is the seed, and that's Jesus Christ. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That's a covenant promise, the covenant of grace. 
Abraham was given that, here it is fulfilled. The nations are bringing the glory in. And Abraham will say that in the seed promise, all the nations shall be blessed. And they're blessed with this, this glory. That can't be obliterated, brethren and sisters. That's history. That's the glory that they bring in, the glory of the gospel that won them. The story that they have to tell of grace, that's the glory they bring in. The glory of the Christ who died for them, who were among all these men that he drew unto himself. So it is the glory of the saved of among the nations. I want you to notice what they enjoy as they enter in from every nation. It says there that the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. In other words, this glory of God that is over the city, these saved nations come in to enjoy it, to bask in it, to walk in the light of it. Even though they bring in their own glory, and we'll come to this if we have time, even though they bring in their own glory, they're, they're basking and glorying in the glory of God. That's the primary thing. That's the main thing. They're saved eternally to participate in that. Before we even read of anything that they bring in, we're told that they bask in the glory of God. That's first. That's major. But that's not the whole story. They also bring in their glory. Somehow. To contribute to this. We're first told about the incoming glory. In relation to the kings of the earth. Verse 23. And the kings of the earth. Do bring their glory. And honor into it. But it's not just the kings, as we saw in verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So the kings are bringing the glory in. They're bringing the glory of the nations in as kings. And the nations, uh, through their kings, are by themselves also are bringing in the glory and honor as well. And we have to ask, who are these kings? Certainly they are saved kings. Because they wouldn't be in heaven. that The nations are saved. And so these are the kings of the nations who are themselves saved. So they're saved kings. But who are they? And perhaps we might answer that in two ways. We could say that they are literally saved kings. Because the Lord does save kings. And presidents. And this is a reference to governors. Not just royalty. But whatever the system was of government. Representative heads. The Lord does save heads of state. He saves kings and queens. Now it is true in the book of the Revelation that mostly they seem to be unbelievers. And any time we read of kings in here, they're kings who are the instruments of Satan and the tools of the devil and they're the enemies of Christ and they persecute the church. But we know that through history many true believers have been kings and governors too. And so the reference might literally be to Gentile rulers and governors who were saved. 
Even as the Bible says, God will sprinkle many nations and the kings, they'll shut their mouths at him and kings and queens will be your nursing fathers and mothers and all of this and that. So many royalty have been saved and have been of immense benefit to the church. And especially we saw that at Reformation times. The Gentiles shall come to thy light, the Bible says, and kings to the brightness of thy raising. And an illustration of that might be the wise men. Uh, some have seen the wise men as the fulfillment of Isaiah 60, those coming from the east, bringing their gifts, bringing their glory to the light of the world, to Christ. And these wise men, they're coming from the east. They might have royal blood and they bring royal gifts and they leave them at the feet of the infant king, the Lord Jesus, the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh. They're bringing their glory to him who is the light of the world. And they're a kind of a foretaste and a foreshadowing of the new heavens and the new earth whenever all the nations and all the kings bring their glory to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We said as we read Isaiah chapter 60 that some of the imagery of Revelation 21 is taken from that. However, this reference to kings may also be a reference to all the saved of the nations. Because in God's eyes, his saved are his children. And they have royal blood because they belong to the king of glory. They belong to the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so the saved of the nations and all the saved in the nations are the true kings, really, of the nations, the true children of God, as it were, uh, subduing the earth in the name of God, the salt of the earth. The true glory of the nations is really found in their Christians. They don't know that. They don't see the glory. They're blind to it. But we have the glory of God. Because the Lord has risen upon us and the light of the gospel has come into our lives and we're saved and we participate in the glory of God in grace. And so without boasting we can say in some way we are glorious because we have a glorious spirit that indwells us and a glorious redeemer who has bought us. And we are the princes in the earth. Princes with God in prayer. You remember Jacob was a prince with God. And so all of God's people who can come to the king, they're princes with God in prayer. And so this may be a reference to just the saved. All the saved. They're kings. They're the true kings of the nations. The nations do not know what they owe to us as Christians. Especially in our prayers for them. And it is interesting that these people from all the nations, whenever they sing the new song, they tell God, Thou hast made us unto thee kings. Revelation 5 verse 10. Thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This isn't some Christians. This is all Christians. You have made us kings. And they shall reign forever and ever. That, that's what it says about the saints. You remember at the start of the book we saw how God came to one of the churches and he said to believers, he says, to him that overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. 
even as I also overcame and sat down on my throne with my Father. So the overcomer is ordained to sit on the throne of Christ, as like a king, to join and share and enjoy this glory. So believers are the ones bringing in the glory into the new Jerusalem. Now what glory is this? Well, I've already hinted at it in, in, in a couple of ways. It's called their glory. They bring their glory into it. But it's not called their glory because it originated with them. It's like the glory of the moon. It's not really the moon's glory. That's glory from the sun reflected. And the glory that we bring in isn't really our glory. It's the glory that God has given to us in his grace. That's what they bring in. The glory of the moon. He's the glory of the sun. So it's still the divine glory that we have received. And we bring it in. And whenever you read your Bible. And study your Bible in the presence of God. It's a light darkening. And you're seeing the glory. And it's shining in on you. And it's changing you. And it's transforming you. It made you to be born again. You're born again by the word of God. That began the glory. And then you're sanctified by the word of God and that continues the glory the transforming glory and then one day you'll see Jesus and you'll be utterly glorified by the word of God by him and then you go into heaven that's the glory you bring in the glory of God that has changed your heart and life so it's not your own glory it's not your works it's not material things and then it's the glory of the history of grace we bring that in with us. He saved us by his grace. He forgave all our multitude of miserable, wicked sins. And whenever you get into heaven, that's the glory of grace. That's the glory you bring in. The glory of his unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The glory of his grace. You're bringing that in. So it's returning glory to God. It's the same glory. It's another aspect of the same glory. It's contributing to the one overall glory. So that all that fills the new Jerusalem is this glory of God. Whether directly from God or reflected in the saints who come into God's presence. And it's the glory of praise. Whoso offer of praise glorifies God. So, so they're coming in with praise. They're coming in with singing. And they're glorifying God. They're giving God the glory. They're saying, the salvation you wrought it, Lord. Your grace forgive all my sins. It boggles the mind. It fills our hearts with glory. What you have done. And they give it to God. Just like the, the, the wise men give the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh to the Savior. Just left it all there to reflect his glory. And so that's what the saints do. And they, and they come in with devoted hearts. And they worship him and they serve him and they walk in his light and they follow him with us wherever he leads them. And, and that's how they, they bring this glory in. The glory of God's grace in their lives. So I think that's what this means here. It's not another glory, a competing glory. A glory that somehow will darken and dull the divine glory. No, it's it's another aspect of the glory of God that has come from the sinful world. 
into which Jesus came with all his glory and radiated into hearts and lives and changed those hearts and lives and now he brings them in with this glory that they received on earth. It's wonderful, isn't it? And child of God, continue to be glorious and continue to be more glorious, to shine for the Lord and to discover more of the glory of God in his word and to get more of the glory of his grace in your heart and in your life. Praise him. Praise him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer.